Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for each one that is here tonight. And Lord, we ask that you would take this service and, and encourage us in our service for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The book of Malachi. I'm going to try to finish up the book of Malachi tonight. And of course, uh, Malachi's entire message is... Uh, Somewhat of a negative note, he is the last of the Old Testament prophets. Uh, we've gone through the first two chapters already. And the, the theme that keeps running through the book of Malachi is this, is the fact that you, don't, you as Israel do not even comprehend your offense toward God. Uh, you you say one thing, and you believe you're doing entirely a different thing. And of course, uh, if you want a, a today's headlines, uh, it is today. I mean, people look and they say, "Listen, we're uh, we're doing the truth. We're reaching people." In fact, I uh, was just. Uh, turned on my Bible program and it has a thing where it updates different things and there was a, a little article there, Hip Hop for Jesus and how these um, rappers or hip hoppers or whatever they call themselves um, were able to use this Bible program to research things for their music. And, and of course, it's extremely frustrating. Uh, I remember one time walking with my wife into Walmart, and they were advertising a new rock group. It was called Trash. And I went, finally, truth in advertising. And my wife was going, shh, shh, uh, because I did it really loud like that. I, I just was so happy somebody was honest about what they were producing. And uh, And you look at people and they say, no, no, we, we are really doing the work of God. And, and, and Malachi's message was, no, you're not. And God, as he always does in chapters 3 and 4, he says, I'm going to fix this thing. God always has an answer. And uh, when you see the word behold in the Bible... That means God wants you to pay attention. He wants you to look at this thing. And we start chapter 3. Behold, I, God is speaking here, will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before... Did you get that next personal pronoun in there? What? Read it out loud. And I will prepare the way before whom? Me. The Lord is saying, listen, I'm sending my messenger and he's going to prepare the way before me. Now, what did they say about the Lord Jesus? They said, you being a man, make yourself God. Therefore, we're going to stone you. But here in Malachi, he says, I'm sending my messenger, and he is going to prepare the way before me. I'm coming, God says. I'm going to show up. In fact, look at the rest of this here. 
it says, And the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, I can't read those verses that I don't hear Handel's Messiah being sung in my mind. That's one of the uh, courses of these words are, are put uh, to music by Mr. Handel in his song, The Messiah. Just uh, I, I love that thing. Three hours, or, well, two hours and about 45 minutes of King James Bible put to music. Uh, it is something that you ought to, to get and listen. It, it, yeah, they sing it like an opera and it's kind of hard to get it at first. But if you'll learn to listen to it, I'll tell you what, it will calm your spirit. And it will help you when nothing else uh, will. God's word put to music is always a wonderful thing. And here God is saying, behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me and the Lord whom ye seek. Now, I don't know about you, but can you hear the sarcasm right there? The Lord whom ye seek. Now, what had God said to them the whole way through this book? He, he just got done saying in chapter 2, you cover the altar with tears so much that you pollute the sacrifice. You claim to be seeking me. You talk about not offending me and, and wanting to follow me. And yet everything you do, you offer improper sacrifices. You say the Lord, serving the Lord is difficult. This messenger, uh, it's amazing. Commentators go through and say, well, we're just not quite sure who that is. How many of you know who the messenger is? Does anybody have any questions about who that is? Uh, in case you're wondering, it's John the Baptist. Amen. Uh, that is the messenger. Jesus says so. He affirms that. And it is affirmed in the last uh, couple of verses here. And we'll get to that. Uh, that the... Uh, Elijah the prophet is coming before the great notable day of the Lord. He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And, and we'll get to that, but I'll tell you what, those two things happening, and, and they need to happen in the order that they're in the Bible. Those two things happening would solve about 90% of the problems and difficulties we face in society today. If, if we just had fathers caring about their children. I, I've known a lot of fathers. My job is to pay the bills. I'll, I'll let the wife raise the children. Uh, no, no, no. Children need dad's involvement. In fact, if you have boys, uh, you must have. Dad's involvement, or they will walk all over Mama. I mean, that's just the way boys are made. Isn't that right? And uh, we take care of that because that's what God says. And if you want their, if you want children to understand, it starts with Dad. The whole thing does. And we don't have time for a Father's Day sermon today, but let's keep moving here. We get to 
uh, let's just finish this. It says, he's suddenly going to come into his temple. Now, how do things happen suddenly? The idea is that you're unaware. Why are you unaware? Because you're not paying attention. It's saying he's going to suddenly come into his temple. Why? You seek him, but when he shows up, you're not going to recognize him. You're not paying attention to him. Even the messenger of the covenant, the, the one that is bringing God's word, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God has given his revelation to us in all kinds of different ways, but in these last days, he's given us the greatest revelation of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The messenger of the covenant, and you say you delight in the covenant, but what did the people of Israel do when Jesus showed up and began teaching? What right have you to teach these things? What authority do you do these things? Who are you to tell us what to do? How has this man, how can this man read not having learned the letters? I mean, can you imagine that? They say, how in the world could this man even read the law of God? Because he did not go to our school. I'm sorry, he wrote the word. Amen. It is his word. This is the written word. Jesus, of course, is the living word, the messenger of the covenant. He is coming. Now, verse 2 shows us that there is a little, uh, what we might say tongue-in-cheek, there is a little bit of, of saying, you, you know, sarcasm, you delight in this, but you really don't, because verse 2 says, Who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. Now, what it's saying is when he shows up, you're not going to like it. How many of you are familiar with how uh, the refining of ore, uh, of metal works? I mean, when you dig silver out of the ground, it's got lots of different things that are usually mixed in there and they have to put it in a... Uh, a, a furnace of some kind and heat it up to uh, the melting point and many times a lot of the impurities there that are contained in the silver will float to the top and they have to be skimmed off and discarded. And uh, when you read about a potsherd covered with silver dross in your Bible in the book of Proverbs, uh, that is the refuse, the, the things that are scoured off, and you can actually get blood poisoning from that kind of thing. I mean, it was dangerous. That's what they would use a potsherd as a scratcher sometimes to, to open uh, the wounds and remove. That's what Job did, and you would, you would get an infection, you, even blood poisoning, and die from these kinds of things. This is what it's talking about. He is going to be a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. Now, the uh, I looked it up and, and said, really, the, the fuller was a laundry guy. But it was much more than that. This was the last stage of the process of making cloth. 
uh, if you've ever been to one of those old uh, uh, displays, you have the little spinning wheel and they cart the wool or the flax and then they make um, thread and then they take the thread and then they weave it. Well, a homespun thread is not uniform in its thickness. And you're going to, I don't care how careful you are, you're going to get things in the cloth and and the wool is not going to be all the same color. And so once you finish weaving that cloth, it went to the fuller. And the fuller then would immerse it in, in not just regular soap, but a very strong caustic type material that would... Uh, remove and make the color uniform and it would actually loosen those fibers up a little bit so that he would beat the cloth and, and rub it and bring it up so, so it would look the way that it was supposed to. I mean, uh, the fuller would do just about, uh, 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 I'm not saying destroy the cloth, but I mean, he would reshape it and mold it and, I mean, just, uh, you know, soak it in, in, in harsh chemicals to get everything clean and uniform of color. These processes, what the implication is, if you were the ore, uh, it would not be comfortable to be shoved in the furnace and melted. If you were the cloth, you're going to be rubbed and scrubbed and soaked and and bleached and and all of those things, it said this is what he is going to do when he shows up. He is going to put you through this process. It says, and he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Now, see, God has a cure. He says, I'm going to send my messenger. He's going to prepare the way. And then I'm coming. The messenger of my covenant, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, This is a messianic prophecy. And, of course, we understand from the New Testament that John the Baptist was the messenger and Jesus is the message. And he sat there and he purified the sons of Levi. What did he do? He removed them who would not be obedient to God's Word. He separated from those that held to tradition and those that simply believed the Bible. People have often commented, we meet in an old synagogue. And, and uh, you know, what, why did we have this break? If the Old Testament and the New Testament really are one Bible, why did we have this huge break between the Jewish people and the Christians? Well, it's right here. He said, I'm going to purify. I'm going to remove those people, the sons of Levi, the priests, who are not serving me from a true heart, who are seeking their own tradition. And Jesus' harshest condemnation was not for the publicans and the hard arts, now was it? It was for the religious leaders. 
He said, he, how many of you have ever used the phrase, you strain at a gnat and swallow a camel? That comes from your King James Bible. That's what Jesus said that the Pharisees did. He said, when you can pass heaven and earth to make a disciple, and when you're done, he's twice the child of hell that you are. Now, that was not very complimentary. But what Jesus was doing was he was drawing a line between those who believed the truth and those who said they believed the truth. And the religion of the Jewish people today has very, very little to do with this book called the Bible. And very, very much to do with tradition. By the way, most of what is called Christian today is exactly the same thing. It is 90% tradition and 10% Bible. And of course, that and a subway card will get you right on the subway. Amen? Uh, not that your tradition is going to help you out any. Uh, the, the simple truth of the matter is, Jesus is sitting as a refiner. He's going to purge the sons of Levi. And once they are purged, once they are purified, then they're not going to be like the priests that are spoken of in chapters 1 and 2. They're going to offer the right sacrifice. Now, what is God's goal for us? All believers are supposed to be kings and priests unto the Lord our God. He said, but if you're going to offer the offerings, you have got to be pure. It says, verse 4, Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old, and as in the former years. God says, the only way that I'm going to be able to accept your offering is I'm going to have to purify and purge the sons of Levi. But he's not done yet. Look at verse 5. And I will come near to you in judgment, and I will be a swift witness against... Now, let's get the list here. The sorcerers, and against the adulterers, and against the false swearers, and against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his right, and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. So God says, listen, I'm going to purify the sons of Levi. I am going to separate them as the impurities from metal are separated in the refining uh, process in the furnace as the impurities and the stains and the unequal thickness in the cloth is removed by the work of the fuller so that it looks uh, like a real piece of cloth and one, uh, woven in, in the right way and, and something to behold. He said, that's what I'm going to do. He said, but I'm not done with just dealing with the priest. I'm going to deal with the people. Now, we're not going to take time, a lot of time tonight to go through all this list, but sorcerers are simply those who get their power and their authority from the devil. And I want you to understand something. You don't have to go get a book of occult and uh, study all these dark secrets in order to be a sorcerer. 
What you have to do is turn from using Jesus as the source and you're automatically moving in that direction. And these people have removed themselves so far that they look to the devil thinking they're looking to God. You see, if you serve a God of hatred and vengeance and cruelty, you don't serve the God of the Bible. Does that sound like headlines today? Do we need to enumerate on this? I mean, people talk about gods who send them out to blow other people up and kill people and... And take the sword. Wait a minute. Let's let's get this right. Where are the, what is their source? It's not the scriptures. It's not the God of the Bible. Sorcerers get their power from the devil. And then he goes on to say, right next to sorcerers is adulterers. Those that are spiritually impure. Those that are morally impure. And then the next is against false swearers. We, we have a word that we normally use, and it's used in the Bible, uh, liars. Someone who swears is someone who affirms their word is the truth. How many remember Richard Nixon? He swore he was telling the truth. And then they got the White House tapes and started playing. Found out he swore about a lot of other things, too. He was a dirty-mouthed man. And he wasn't honest about anything. And it's, it's absolutely amazing that if we were to use Richard Nixon as the standard, he'd make a lot of our modern-day politicians look awful good. Isn't it true? I mean, they just lie and they lie and they lie. And uh, the way I like to put it, George Washington, American history in 30 seconds, George Washington, I cannot tell a lie. Richard Nixon, I cannot tell the truth. Bill Clinton, I can't tell the difference. And Obama, I don't care. That's American history. And it's a tragedy. But it was going on in Israel during the days of Malachi. And God listed the false swearers as ones that he would judge. And against those that oppress. The hireling in his wages oppress the widows and oppress the fatherless. Now, in this day and time, when you went to work, guess when you got paid? At the end of the day. You know why? Because you stopped on the way home and you bought food for your children, your family, on the way home. If you were in a manual labor situation, if you were working what we would call a normal job, that's how you would get paid and you would stop by those who sold food and you would buy that and your children would eat. If they withheld those wages, guess what? You went hungry that night. Your family went hungry that night. And Jesus said, listen, I mean, you know, the, the prophet here tells us that those that oppress 
uh, the hireling, the person who is trying to earn a living by honest day's work, the widows. You know, there was this whole process, read the book of Ruth, of being able to redeem property and being able to uh, support uh, those they could not support themselves. Jesus talked about the scribes and the Pharisees as those that devoured the women, the widows' houses. They took the things that God had provided and used them to manipulate so that they could enrich themselves. And this last one here, well, not the last one, but the next to the last one, it says, and that turn aside the stranger from his right. Now, the stranger were those who were not born of Israel, but had come into Israel wanting to serve God. And you would have these well-meaning people, and, and this happens a lot today. You want to serve the Lord? You know, we got this great little book here that will teach you everything you need to know about Jesus. It's published by the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, and it will really make you understand the Bible. How many of you have ever heard a Jehovah's Sickness, I mean, witness tell you those things? I mean, that is their line, word for word. And the same thing happens at the Seventh-day Adventist group with Ellen G. White and the Mormons with, with their books. Everybody's got their book. And they're taking people who are trying to do right and they're turning them aside. God says, I'm going to judge those people. And then we get down to the end here. And he says, and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. These are, it's an interesting list of sins, is it not? Sorcery, adultery, lying, false swearers, oppressors, those that manipulate others for their own personal gain, those that take those trying to find the truth and turn them away from the truth, false teachers, we might say, and those that fear not God. And he says, I am going to judge them. Look at verse 6. He says, for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Now, here we go right back to where we did in chapter 1. What does God do? In the midst of his judgment, he affirms his love for his people. But those that are not going to love God, are not going to obey His commandments, whether they be the priest or whether they be of the people, He says, I am coming and I'm going to refine. I am going to separate those that have the truth from those who do not. Even from the days of your father, you are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Verse 7, return unto me. And I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. You know, this is where we get the the phrase, you take one step to God, He'll take a step to you. But His steps are a lot bigger than your steps. Amen? You move in the right direction and God will move to you. God wants you to know you're saved. God wants you to live. In the light of His goodness and His grace, He wants you to walk in His blessings each and every day. That's God's desire for all His people. But what is our tradition as human beings? 
just as they did at Mount Sinai. Moses has been gone 40 days. We don't know what's become of him. Make us a new God. That's what the children of Israel did. The book of Judges, over and over again. Through the books of King Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, how that they would turn to God, then they would turn from God, and, and this cycle goes on and on. God says, I understand, but if you want me, you need to return to me. He says, you return to me, I'll return to you. But here's the indictment, the last part of verse 7, the last phrase. But he said, wherein shall we return? We haven't left you, Lord. We're, we're still doing what's right. We're still taking our sacrifices to the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, we're still doing what the law says. But were they? No, they were taking the sick and the lame animals that were not acceptable and offering them as sacrifices. Their religion was just an outward show with no inward heart reality. And God says, I'm not going to have that kind of worship. I'm not going to accept it. And the problem is, you don't understand. And we, we live in a day where it's difficult to try to witness to people. You pass out tracts, and what's one of the answers you get all the time? At least I get it. Oh, we all serve the same God. No, we don't. Well, what do you mean by that? You know, the problem is you people think that you're the only ones that are right. No, we don't. We think only this book is right. There's a difference. There's a standard here. Religion, true religion is objective, not subjective. Do you get the difference? Objective means that there is a measurable standard by which we can compare ourselves to. That measurable standard is the Word of God. And what do people say? Oh, but... The way is too narrow. Nobody does that anymore. Everybody, no, everybody has never done any one thing. I mean, there's always one guy in the crowd that's going to do something different, not because he believes in God, just because he wants to do something different. How many of you have met those people? How many of you have had to work with them? Uh, everybody doesn't do anything. What you need to worry about is somebody. The face you see in the mirror. That's what you need to be worried about. That's what this book, the Malachi's prophecy, is telling us. And, and there are uh, lots of preachers that just love the next few verses in the book of Malachi. It says, Wherewith will a man, where, I'm sorry, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings is God's answer. You are cursed with the curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now, we've got two major problems that God is going to present here in chapter 3. And he's going to answer the problems. And he's saying, listen, you think 
you're, you're, you're obeying me, and yet you couldn't be any further from the truth. You don't even understand the problem. Sometimes when we talk to people about the gospel, uh, it's like they speak a foreign language. Yes, we both speak English, but we're not meaning the same thing with the same words. Have you ever run into that? Oh, yes, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I accept him as my personal Savior every time I take Mass. That's not the same thing as believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's not the same thing at all. Nothing, no two things could be further apart in their understanding, yet we use the same words. Why? Because someone is trying to turn people away from the right. We go back to God's judgment there. And here he says, this entire nation of Israel has robbed me. Now, I believe that individuals ought to tithe. Uh, if you could go through our discipleship, we explain exactly what tithing is and how it works in your life. But this is not the proof text for tithing. If you want the proof text for tithing, you go to the teachings of Jesus and he tells the scribes and the Pharisees, you tithe of the mint, the anise, and the cumin. He says, you've got the herb box in your windowsill and you count out ten leaves and take one of them and set it aside and take it to the temple with you. You are so careful in your tithing of the little things, but he says... You pass over love, justice, mercy. He said, these you ought to have done. How many remember what the last phrase of that verse is? And not to leave the other undone. It's not wrong. It's right. But if your heart isn't right, what you put in the offering plate can't be right. If you sit there and write out a check and say, good night. The government takes this and the church takes this. There's nothing left to keep it. We don't want that kind of tithe. That's the kind of tithe that's being talked about here in the book of Malachi. Is a tithe that was given grudgingly. And not given completely and not given the way that God intended it. And God says, listen, you're robbing me, but I want you to try something. If you'll just be obedient, look at what I will do for you. And, and God's word is, uh, many things are conditional. Look at verse 10. He says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, God is speaking to Israel as a nation through his prophet. This is the last prophet. And he says, prove me. Honor me first. And see what I will do for you personally. 
and for your nation and for the land in which you live. God says, try me, prove me. And then he goes on and he deals with the next one. Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, what have we spoken so much against thee? Do you get that? Time and time and time again in the book of Malachi, God says, this is the problem. And Israel answers, oh, we don't see it that way. And God goes on to explain the issue here. It says, verse 14, ye have said it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy, yea, they that work wickedness are set up, yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. Basically, what God is saying is you have turned what I want you to do inside out. Now, many times we we talk about different things. And and as a pastor, part of my job is to warn you. uh, And one of the things that we just need to be warned against is uh, the uh, at, at this time, I believe, uh, the most popular non-fiction book, at least in recent years this was true, the most popular non-fiction book in America was The Purpose Driven Life. And it's supposed to be a book that teaches the truth about Christianity. I, I want to challenge you, The Purpose Driven Life is described right here in these verses. This is the religion of the purpose driven life. It is a life that says we don't need to walk before God mournfully. It's a life that we, God put these desires within you. You need to tell God what you want him to do. And the best commentary I've ever heard on the purpose-driven life was actually given by the radio talk show host Rush Limbaugh. And you may not like to listen to him, and I'm not recommending that you do, but he was explaining... Uh, a situation that developed years ago. Some of you may remember this. Atlanta, Georgia, female prison guard was overcome by a murderer. Uh, he took her gun, managed to get her, uh, force her to unlock the cage, and then he forced her at gunpoint to take her to his house. Now, the, the guard was a believer in a purpose-driven life, and she gave her testimony that I just started telling him What I wanted him to do. I said, I don't want you to harm me or harm my children. And eventually she convinced the man to give himself up. And as Rush Limbaugh was relating this story, he said, this is the purpose-driven life. This is what this book is talking about. And she used this book to manipulate this criminal into turning himself into the authorities. I said, wow. How could you get any more of an indictment that what you're doing is exactly what God is describing in the book of Malachi as wrong in this book? You see, it is a prophet 
to surrender my will to God's. To let his word overwrite me in every part of my life. Because what is sin in my life is where I get my way instead of God getting his. Isn't that true? There is a prophet, a prophet in walking mournfully. Jesus put it this way. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. The word meek means to operate under the authority of another. And all of these things were not happening. But I want you to look at verse 16. It says, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. There's two things that God wants us to do. He wants us to fear his name. He wants us to think about his name. He wants our thought process and our hearts to be centered about him. And there's this incredible promise uh, here in, in these last two verses, and they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. God says, they're going to be mine. He says, when God makes up his jewels, those are going to be his jewels. Reminds me of the uh, second century preacher. He was caught by the the Romans. And, and of course, they had all these crazy ideas about about Christians. And and they thought they were hoarding money. And uh, because they talked about treasures that could not be bought, lay up your treasure in heaven and repeating. And so uh, they caught this preacher and they brought him in and they said, listen, says, we want the treasures of your church. And I have to believe the guy was at least a little bit Baptist because he said, well, if you want the treasures of our church, I'm going to need at least ten carts and and animals to pull them so I can bring to you the treasures of our church. And the Roman soldiers are going, wow, this is going to be great. And he filled the carts with slaves and beggars who were members of the church. And he said, these are the treasures of our church. And of course, he was lost his life for that testimony. But where did he get that idea? Those are God's jewels. That's what God counts precious is a soul who simply trusts in Him. Amen? Those that fear His name. That's what He is going to do in eternity future as He takes the lives of those that have believed in Him and He's going to show the exceeding goodness of His riches. That's Ephesians chapter 2. Read it. You see, 
The whole Bible is connected. Malachi is one of those pivotal books. It puts things together. And we have six verses here in three minutes, and I think we can do this here. You see, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, and yea, all that do wickedly shall be stubble, and the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts. It shall leave them neither root nor branch. Does that sound roughly like a summary of the middle chapters of the book of Revelation? But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. That sounds a little bit to me like Revelations chapters 19 through 22. Uh, In summary fashion. And ye shall tread down the wicked, and they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in that day, that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. God's law has not changed. Read Psalm 119. Take time to go through that. You want the exceeding broad path to walk. Walk in His commandments. But that's the narrow way. Yes, the narrow way is true freedom. It's the broad way. It says, Thy commandment is exceeding broad, is the actual verse in Psalm 119. But that's speaking of the narrow way because it cuts me off from so many things. If I want to be free in this world, bind yourself with the laws of God. And then he goes to these last two verses of sending Elijah the prophet. And what he's going to do is he's going to turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers. Now, this is something that has to happen. We have often, in attempting to just be honest with the world in which we live, Father's Day is Missing Persons Day. I mean, there's just a lot of fathers out there that are just not present. Fathers need to care about their children. You say, well, I had that kind of father. What am I supposed to do? Um, Let me explain something to you. This book tells me about a heavenly father who will love you like no earthly father. Amen? And he is thinking about us as his children. 1 John chapter 4 put it this way. We love him because he first loved us. You know what? That works in the family as well. It works in the church. Somebody once said, Pastor, you're just like a father to us. No, uh, I mean, I I will give you direction as as I can, but we're we're just not going to go there because the Bible says, Call no man on earth your father except your father in heaven. Amen. I'm his servant, but my job is to bring you to the love of the father. Any good thing that I teach you, I get from him. And that's where our affection needs to be. You see, 
when the fathers turn their hearts from their children, the children are going to turn their hearts away from the next generation. And we see this repeated in our society, generation after generation. And it's one of the reasons why America is in the mess that it's in. It just is. And what we need is to understand that God has to do this work. You can't do it. You can't sit out, and many people have set out, I'm going to make things different. And when you do that, what you're doing is setting yourself up to just repeat again the things that were done before you. I'm not going to be like that. Well, that's what you're going to end up being like. What you need to do is be conformed to the image of His Son. That will change you. Amen? That's what's being spoken of here in the book of Malachi. And the answer is His messenger and the coming of the Lord. We know those things have been fulfilled. And what we need to do is serve Him each and every day. That's the message of Malachi. The only way you can get discernment to understand the difference between those that serve God and those that don't is you've got to get in this book. It can't be based on your feeling. can't be based on your tradition. can't be based on what you hope works out. It has to be objective. It has to be based on the words of God. And Malachi's message is a sad one. It's a tragic one. Over and over again, he says, you don't even understand where you're at. But if you want to understand, fear the Lord. Think on His name. And that will solve the problems. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. And we thank you for this little book, Malachi. And Lord, there's just so many things that could have been said, but I pray that the Holy Spirit will take what was said and use it to encourage us in your word, to help us understand that there is truth and there is error, and that only your word can help us discern the difference between the two. And let us walk in your ways. And Lord, before we finish that prayer, we'll just... Take a few moments and ask that you would work in each heart and life here tonight. Give us grace to surrender to you what needs to be yours. That we may walk in your ways and fear your name and think about your name. We'll take just a moment before we end the prayer time tonight. If you want to pray, the altar's open.